This is Upwell, a new podcast from Only One, featuring entrepreneurs, advocates, and leaders working to protect and restore the ocean and the planet. And I'm your host, Aaron Kinnery. Today we have Tessa Callaghan, the co-founder and CEO of Keel Labs, a company revolutionizing how textiles are made using kelp. Let's dive in. Tessa, thanks for joining the podcast. Your background is in fashion and product design. And then four years ago, you co-founded Keel Labs. What inspired this move? Yeah, thanks so much. Um, great to be here as well. Um, but yeah, so, you know, my background, as you mentioned, is in fashion and, and textiles. And, you know, as, as I began working in the industry, you know, along with my co-founders as well, um, we're really surprised and astonished by how how little power we had to enact change within the companies that we were working with and and seeing the amount of waste and kind of resource misalignment wanted to see what we could do as designers to define the parameters of what change would need to look like and and how that would need to happen in order for these larger companies and for consumers to you know, have better choices and better options that, you know, don't take 50 years to be developed when it's too late. And what were some of the key moments and breakthroughs in those early days? Well, I mean, so many, uh, both from a, a personal and professional standpoint. But I think, you know, really what it was surrounded by or, or the theme of that was around kind of understanding the full scope of textiles and and products as a whole and where the impact comes from. Um, Similarly with, you know, let's say plastic bottles where a lot of that onus gets put on the the consumer to recycle it or or do whatever uh, needs to be done for it to feel like it's not having a negative impact. Um, Similarly with the textiles industry, there's very little action being taken on what has the majority of the impact, which is the raw materials that that products and clothing and home goods are really derived from. And so rather than focusing on what to do once it's created, we wanted to kind of shift that perspective onto how do we not create that problem to begin with? And when you're tackling such a massive challenge, and particularly when you're creating new innovative ways to uh, shift the industry. I imagine there must have been some setbacks or challenges in the earlier days as well. How did you grapple with some of those and, and, and any sort of insights that you gleaned from that work? Hmm. That's a very good, that's a very good question. And, you know, I think that we're, we continue to face so many setbacks and challenges day to day. And, you know, I feel like both from the founding days to, you know, now for almost five years later, perseverance is is so key. And I think that that really comes from dedication to the end mission. And, you know, when we were starting out and, and myself in particular, as a designer, I think balancing the values and the insights that come with that from problem solving to understanding the end product with also you know, not having direct experience in material science or in business development and really having to learn how to manage all of those things at once uh, certainly took a lot of uh, fortitude, but I think is something that, you know, is 
able to be overcome just by accepting what you know and what you don't know and where you want to grow and not being afraid, I think, to really ask for help and lean on experts in various areas to help collaborate and and create solutions faster versus being really tied to your own ego and and what it is that you feel like you need to show up as versus what you're really bringing to the table. And what are some of the key focus areas for the company now? What are some of the things that you're developing? Yeah, so we're developing and scaling a a yarn and a fiber that's derived from seaweed. And so with that, there's obviously many components that go into it. But our current focus, uh, which I'm sure will remain for our entirety, is working with brands to, you know, really understand how are you making something that works for you, for your design teams, for your supply chains, and simultaneously, um, you know, understanding and implementing as best as we can within existing supply chains so that we're creating a plug and play solution that, you know, isn't trying to pretend like it's fixing a problem. We want to constantly make sure that we're evolving and changing to meet the ever-growing industry needs. And what are some of the key parts of the process for making this type of yarn? So what we do to make Kelson, which is, you know, our flagship product here at Kiel Labs, is, again, you know, making sure that we're working with existing supply chains as much as possible. So that starts with seaweed and with kelp. That's an existing industry and There's many polymers that are readily extracted from that that are used for other industries. So what we do is tap into that supply chain. So we're buying polymers. We're not seaweed harvesters. Again, there are such brilliant experts um, and cultivators around the world that we're able to work with. So we take these polymers and then in-house we create the formulation that allows them to then go into fiber manufacturing infrastructure. So the ways that, you know, uh, man-made synthetics or, or cellulosics are made. Um, and we remove the toxic chemicals, use, again, our inputs and, and green chemistry so that what you put in and what you get out from the fiber standpoint um, is clean, non-toxic, better for the planet, etc. From there, those fibers then get spun into yarns So this is how, you know, what happens with the cotton, what happens with the wool, what happens with the polyester as well. Um, And then those get, um, you know, produced into textiles. Those textiles then can go into garments or home goods or kind of wherever textiles are are applicable, um, where, you know, brands are able to work with them and then, of course, sell them to their end customer. And what are some of the key benefits of making textiles with kelp as opposed to other sources? Yeah, so a lot of, I would say a majority of the textiles that we're familiar with now um, are, even if not entirely negative, not truly beneficial. So you have, you know, the two kind of primary sources, synthetics and, and polyester, which come from fossil fuels. And then you have cotton, which obviously comes from cotton. But both of those have their negative impacts, which, you know, are, are very diverse, but, you know, primarily thinking about uh, carbon emissions for one. And then, you know, for the latter, that's water usage, chemical usage, 
things like that. And so for us, we want to make sure that we're not just focusing on one of those areas. We want to make sure that we're able to holistically provide an improvement. So by working with seaweed, first and foremost, not only are we avoiding land degradation, um, you know, chemical usage, um, CO2 production, but we're also able to help promote uh, cleaner oceans. You know, seaweeds have so many beneficial attributes, um, but primarily being able to capture CO2, decrease ocean acidification, and and really filter the oceans to create cleaner uh, ecosystems for everything around it. Um, And so that's where we really come in. Yeah, so essentially the the materials that you're using, the kelp, there's benefits in both growing of the kelp, obviously, within the ocean, the reduction of acidification, as you mentioned, capturing of CO2, and then you're also avoiding the use of more harmful materials in textiles. And and how about at the end of uh, the life cycle for these products? Are there there benefits there as well when folks are discarding the, the textiles? Yeah, so yes and no here for sure. Our core uh, ethos or, or vision as a company is to ensure that the materials we're creating live inside of the natural ecosystem. So if you're making and consuming something, it should also be able to follow the Earth's natural cycles of degradation and uh, nutrient sharing. And so for our materials to begin with, our goal is for those to be compostable biodegradable, um, you know, really following that same natural cycle. That being said, it is quite a complex conversation because once a product has been made or once our yarns are delivered, a key part of the conversation is both from the, the brand and supplier perspective. You know, are they putting dyes in that? What types of dyes are they using? Um, what types of finishes are they going to be ending up putting plastic buttons on it? Are they putting labels that are made of polyester or things like that? And then further, um, you know, what types of, I guess, sanitation department on a regional basis, how is that, um, how is that interfering and, and what kind of systems are used there? So I think when we start to talk about this, we want to make sure that we're, you know, biodegradable and fully biocompatible. And also, work as best as we can, both with end consumers and, and, you know, local infrastructure and ecosystems and also with brands. But it does get quite quite complicated and why fashion and and recycling in particular can be a really challenging endeavor to perfect. Are there products currently on the market that are using Kelson that, that consumers should look for? There are not currently products on the market using Kelson. Um, but this is something that we are so eagerly awaiting. I mean, I'm just as impatient as the next person. Uh, so this is something that we're really excited about and are going to have, you know, some really cool announcements coming out this year as well. Um, but I can't wait to have the first, uh, Kelson shirt and I'm sure we'll shout it to the world once we do. And are there any other use cases or maybe extensions that you're particularly excited about and thinking about expanding into for the future? Absolutely. I mean, I think that what is so inspiring as as such a textile nerd to me, but fibers are so incredible and so beautiful because there is a plethora of end applications that you're able to work with. And I think 
for uh, understanding case, thinking about cotton. So you obviously have your cotton t-shirt, but you also have uh, a curtain. You also have bed sheets. You also um, might, although cotton, maybe not, but might show up in your uh, car. But you also have makeup wipes or, you know, makeup pads or ear swabs or whatever that may be. And so I think that though our focus currently is around, you know, addressing the issues that come with fashion, the breadth in which a fiber is able to be applied uh, is so wide ranging that I'm really excited to to look into what the possibilities are there. What has the reception been like from various stakeholders across the industry? Overall, I would say, and, and part of the catalyst behind the creation of Keel Labs was receiving a lot of excitement um, from the industry overall. And that's something that we're really fortunate uh, to have. And, you know, I think very much being in the right place in the right time. But, you know, both from the, the brands and fashion and other industry to consumers to, you know, changing economic and investment opportunities, there's really been a forgive the pun, but a wave of change happening uh, to that end. And it's made the work for us really exciting. You know, our our core principle is to create and solve real world problems. And if there's not excitement and there's not buy-in to begin with, we should probably be rethinking what it is that we're doing. We do love puns on this uh, on this podcast, in particular ocean puns. Um, so I'll just I'll just go with one. Um, any stormy waters? Anything that's really sort of inhibiting the the scale of, of the of your endeavor? Wow, really diving into these puns, today, aren't we? <laughs> yes. Um, you know, I think that realistically, we have just overarchingly a challenge as a planet. Um, there's a lot of excitement and need and desperation around change and, and creating positive impacts. However, I think the kind of two biggest components to that is, are we able to collaborate fast enough across industries, across innovators to create change that is so impactful as to uh, rectify the you know, the, the seemingly catastrophic status that our planet is, is moving towards, which I think absolutely, yes. However, you know, it really is something that requires all parties from across disciplines, across, you know, market segments to be committing to and not just talking about and, and marketing about, I guess, if you will. And I think with that, comes the the onus of responsibility um, and understanding too that we are working, you know, as a company, we are working so hard every day to make change happen. And we certainly can't do that alone. And I think that that comes with an increase in responsibility from brands, from suppliers, um, a voice from consumers, although I don't think it's their responsibility to make the change. Um, but I think that without that, buy-in and resource sharing, it's going to be really hard for everybody. Picking up on that point, and I wonder if you can just sort of expand on it, what 
is needed in the ecosystem for environmental entrepreneurs to really foster and accelerate some of the some of the impact and and scale? You mentioned I think some of the consumer demand components, the need for collaboration. Um, how what's the funding structure look like? Or is there adequate uh, funding opportunities? Is there adequate connections to market? What kind of components? As like an early entrepreneur in the space, did you think we're really strong, and did you think we're perhaps missing? Hmm. This question is obviously multifaceted, um, but I think that from one of the kind of key points that I feel like I'm a broken record about is the need for collaboration and and information sharing, and I think that there's ample opportunity for it. But in order for us all to be able to scale and grow and learn and and change, um, really getting out of the old mentalities of working in silos, of um, thinking of everybody that's not inside, you know, under your roof as your competitor. Um, And I think that it's really critical for us. and, And I have seen such positive uh, results in this way, but really critical for all of us to work together, to share challenges, to share opportunities, um, and help uplift the work that we're all doing. Because again, not a single solution, not a single human can fix the whole planet on their own. Um, and so again, this is something I'm really optimistic about, something I've seen, uh, grow and change over the years and something that I think is not not to be underwritten just because there's been a little bit of change. I think that it definitely needs daily practice to to make sure that that's happening. Um, but then I guess on, on the other side of the question, you know, I think that again, currently and, and kind of who knows what's happening in the market coming up, but there are certainly plenty of funding opportunities for us. We're really focused uh, on venture capital uh, for the coming years. However, um, you know, again, I think this is about global resource alignment. Um, You know, there's plenty of funding from plenty of individuals and funds that could dramatically change the world today. And there needs to be a shared commitment uh, to that change and to leveraging better and, and more innovative ideas. So it's a little bit of a back and forth, I would say. So last question, you know, you're tackling such a big space and you're um, advancing really interesting innovation. Are there any other major innovations or industry shifts that you're seeing across the environmental entrepreneurial landscape that you're really excited about and that makes you optimistic about our capacity to address the climate crisis? Mm. Yeah, I think that one of the things I've been really interested in, but it's obviously not new to anyone, is what has happened and what's continuing to happen in the food and and alternative protein space, um, where I think you really saw this massive tide change Uh, (laughs) um, from, you know, even 10 years ago when nobody could imagine being a vegetarian and when, you know, it was, it was really seen in this completely different light. Whereas today, not only are there 
multiple alternatives on the market that uh, are available at nearly every single grocery store that the average person, no matter where you go, is accustomed to. So thinking about impossible or, or beyond, but also even in the supply chain space and coloring space um, and kind of the, the more detailed components of that, we're seeing change and become a part of public conversation, even on the day to day. Um, and that radical and dramatic shift is extremely ex inspiring to me because it's one that previously was thought to be completely insurmountable. And I think that what we're really seeing now, along with that growth and kind of public conversation, is the understanding and acceptance that change is possible in other industries that are also giant that seem, um, you know, super antiquated and unchanging. And so that's something that we're seeing for sure in the material space um, and following similar trends. That's really exciting for me. I mean, again, I'm, I'm very biased here because that's what I'm looking for. But I think that we see that then, you know, shifting into uh, both supply chain and um, kind of localized infrastructure, but also into other industries, be that building and agriculture or um, architecture. And I think that that change is going to become easier and faster to employ um, the more and more we see that happen. So that's, that's really exciting to me. And I feel extremely optimistic about the potential for all industries to be upended, honestly. Any final advice for entrepreneurs looking to make a difference in the space? Hmm. There's so much advice, uh, also plenty that I'm sure I would, I would love as well. But I think that, you know, my, my biggest piece of advice would really be around, um, you know, feeling free to ask for help. Um, and go to your peers, going to advisors or to mentors, or even reaching out cold to people that inspire you. Um, because not only do you learn and share and, and inspire each other, but also, you know, everybody wants to help somebody else in, in one way or another. And even though it, it can feel scary, uh, what I've found at least is that even if someone can't help you, they might point you in the right direction. And I think it, it just goes to the idea of breaking out of our, our silos um, and, you know, cross-pollinating uh, our ideas and our ambitions to, to work together more closely. Um, yeah, I think that that's, that's really the biggest thing. And also that knowing that with that, you're you're not alone. You're not the only one fighting for change, but that every single person is critical to make that happen. So not being afraid to really face it head on, but knowing that you're doing that with peers. Well, thank you so much, Tessa, for sharing your experience building Q Labs and your thoughts and ideas for others in the sector. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thank you so much. It was, uh, it was quite a pleasure. Thanks so much, Tessa, for sharing how Q-Labs is helping to transition the textile industry into a more sustainable future. I'll leave links to where you can find Tessa and Q-Labs in the show notes, which you can find at only.one forward slash upwell. Once again, that's only.one forward slash upwell. This week's episode was engineered by Jake Bowles. Research was supported by Serena Cooper, and our cover art was designed by Joanna Marcus at Only One. 
Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and start your journey to help save the ocean and fix the climate today at only.one. For as little as $9, you can start planting coral and mangroves and removing plastics and carbon. Again, that's www.only.one. Thanks for tuning in and we'll be back next week with an all new episode of Upwell.